sound beautiful church. Pray with me as I pray. So Father, we just come to you and continue to worship you in the word and let you do the work in our lives. Not my words, but yours. Not my power, but the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that as your word does a work in our lives, it would conform us into the beautiful image of your son, the one we just sang about, the one we just prayed to. I thank you that he is the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. And that is true in what's going on around the globe. And it's true in what's going on in my life and in the lives of my dear brothers and sisters. But may we remember that no matter what is going on, you are sovereign over all. And you are good. And may we find our soul rest in you alone. For the fame and the glory of your name, we gather, we pray, and we praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Good morning. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Find that passage. Thank you, Jan, for reading it so beautifully. This is the word of the Lord, and, and we gather and we sing it and we pray it, and, and I'm just excited. Um, I, I get more and more excited during the prayer time because, um, because I see how the Holy Spirit is orchestrating things in the room, and you'll see what I mean by that in a few minutes um, by some of the prayers that were lifted up that people wouldn't have known um, that that was what was in my notes or, or anything. And so I'm just excited to see what he has in store for us uh, for the second part of our gathered time together. But we're going to start with a question. It's the first talking points question that's on the back of your bulletin insert. Um, and basically it, it just says, what do we see happening on our culture's view of Christianity? What do we see happening in our culture's view of Christianity? And then how is that impacting our engagement in the gospel? So let me ask you, so, so how, how is the culture viewing Christianity these days? Foolishness. What else? Intolerant. That we're the intolerant ones. Good. What else? Judgmental. They mock us. They're canceling us. Right? And, and, and this is part of that. You know, I've, I've mentioned this a few times. Um, there's a book that just came out recently called The, um, the Great Dechurching of America. And, it, and, it's, and, and I've been listening to some of the, the authors of this. Um, they did a ton of research on, and they were talking about how over the last 25 years, 40 million people have dechurched in America. In America, there are 40 million less people attending church now than there were like in the 80s. That is, that is the largest movement of church in the history of our nation. That it dwarfs what happened during what we call the Great Awakening. And so that's a huge, so, so they are canceled. Like we are, um, 
they're canceling us in a very real sense, in the sense of they're not even attending churches anymore. So how does all of that affect our desire and our ability to engage in the gospel? Does it make us more excited about it? Should it make us? No. So, so Jan said, no, it doesn't make us more excited. Should it make us more excited? Why should it make us more excited than ever to engage in the gospel? Because we win. We know, somebody said it. We know the end of the story. I think Sean prayed it. What, why else should we be excited about engaging in the gospel? That's right. Like the, the harvest is more plentiful, right? Like, I mean, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up harvesters for his field. He isn't saying that the, the harvest might be plentiful. Guys, the, the darker the darkness grows, the brighter the light shines. And we have got to start trying to turn our minds in that direction. Like, we have to start praising God when we get persecuted. And as you saw from just the reading, your daily reading today that Jan just read, um, that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about. So we're in this series where we're, we, we're in the Gospel of Matthew now. We're working on about our third month, I think it is. And, we, and we're in um, the Matthew chapter 5. And we're calling this series the Kingdom of Heaven because we are a people that are caught between kingdoms. We're a people that are caught between the already finished of Jesus has come, once died, redeemed for redemption, but he has not yet come again to restore all things. And we are, unlike the world that is all caught in this kingdom, the worldly kingdom, we are people who have been, in many ways, real, very real ways, transferred into his kingdom. And at the same time, we're stuck down here in this kingdom. So we're these people caught between the kingdom. And, and we saw how um, Jesus modeled like how I'm the better Moses through the baptism, the wilderness wanderings, etc. He started gathering some followers. Then he goes up the mountain and he starts to proclaim some new truth. And so we're doing, this is the third week in a three-parter in just the Beatitudes that's called, that I'm calling the upside-down kingdom. And specifically what we're talking about today is this idea that there's a um, that this is sort of a backwards blessing. It feels very backwards because what he's going to tell us is we are blessed when we are persecuted, when we suffer. But it has always been the way of it. It's not just what we see going on in our culture today. I'll let you in on a little secret. The culture that Jesus lived in didn't like Christians either. Thus the cross. The the, the the culture that Paul and all of the other apostles lived in did not like Christians either. All of the apostles died badly. That should tell us something. Even John, who was not murdered, was boiled in oil, and then he was put on an island to live by himself until he died. Like, and yet we, because we're Americans, don't re that doesn't really resonate well. That, 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 that part of the gospel message that, hey, if you're a follower of Christ, you will be persecuted. Jesus doesn't say you might be. He said you will be. That doesn't resonate well, so we haven't shared that part of the gospel much in America. Because it doesn't fill big churches. It's just, that's just... The hard reality. So today, here's what we're going to talk about. How do we live in this, as Christians in this culture that is like ever more hostile? And, and whether it's, it has always been hostile, the ever more hostile part is probably in the, in the sense that we are more aware of the hostility now than we've ever been. Because as I say often here, we have access to everything that's going on in the world all the time through our smartphones. And we were not meant 
to be that kind of people. Like we were not meant um, as humans to know all the bad things that are going on all over the planet all the time. And that's part of why we see what's going on with the discouragement and the distractions from the enemy. So well, here's what Jesus is going to show us in these verses that we're going to look at today. He's going to show us, so how do we live in this hostile world? We reflect on, what's, on what we're pursuing. We remember who they're really persecuting. And we recall where we're heading. Those three things are what he's going to show us in these few verses today. So let's jump in, and I'm just going to, as I have done these first two uh, messages in the Beatitudes, I'm going to read them all. So he's in verse, starting in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, the ra- for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. So I've mentioned this before, but I want to say it again. The the way I have chosen, there are many different um, views on how you can break down the Beatitudes, even on how many of them there are. What I've chosen to do is is what we did the first week in in, in week one of this three-part series, is we looked at verses three, four, and five, and we saw how those three verses are summarized in one of the verses we're going to look at today, verse six, so we'll get there in a minute. And then the next three verses, verses seven, eight, and nine, are summarized in verses 10 and 11, which again is something we're going to look at today. And so, so there's this picture of, of, of here's the first three have much to do with our relationship with God. The, other, the next three that we talked about last week have more to do with our relationship with each other. And then that's where the persecution for, comes from. So, so let's take a look at our, our first point. So how do we live as Christians in this ever in, like hostile world? Well, first we have to reflect on what we are pursuing. So look at verse 6 of chapter 5. He says, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, we all know hunger and thirst. Like, we come out of the womb hungry. I remember when Abby was born. So Abby, our little Abby, is sitting back there in the back. She weighs all of, like, 95 pounds today. She weighed about 85 pounds when she was born. I mean, she came out looking like Jabba the Hutt. Like, she was this massive child. And and because she was rather large, my wife needed some attention, and so I'm over, and so she's screaming her head off, they've got, and, and they're like, well, dad, why don't you just feed her a little bit of this bottle until we can get your, until we can get Carrie ready to nurse her, and blah, 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 and so they give me one of those little bottles of formula, and I'm, and I have, and I'm, and I put it, and I put it up to her mouth, and, and, and she stops crying, she starts eating, and the nurse comes over, and she says, how, and like, literally two minutes later, the nurse comes up to me and says, how much did she drink? And I said, all of it. And she goes, you fed her all of it? I'm like, well, you didn't tell me not to. The girl just sucked it down like that. We know, so we come out of the womb understanding, my point in that story is, we come out of the womb understanding hunger and thirst, right? It's, now, this is physical hunger and thirst, but here Jesus is talking about spiritual hunger and thirst. So, um, 20th century uh, theologian, pastor, teacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was sort of the 20th century version of Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century, he says this about, about this idea of hungering and thirsting. The Christian is one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting and yet is filled 
And the more they are filled, the more they hunger and thirst. This is the blessedness of the Christian life. So, so when Jesus says in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have to stop right there and go, well, let's talk a little bit about righteousness, what that is. It's being made right with God. It's the same idea as justice. And, and, and he's, he's not talking about us being righteous apart from God. He's saying, here's how I know that. Because there's a lot of places where Jesus talks about this, and we'll see it throughout the Gospel of Matthew. But right here, context is king. If, we, if we're saying verse 6 in some way summarizes verses 3, 4, and 5, what did he tell us in verses 3, 4, and 5? What did Jesus say? He said, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, when you're spiritually bankrupt. There's no righteousness of your own in being spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are you... Um, when you are, um, what's, what was that? Blessed are you when you mourn. When you mourn or are broken over your sin. There's no righteousness in being a sinner. And then the last one was, blessed are you when you're meek or you're humble. He's saying, guys, if you, when you, the righteousness we hunger and thirst for is God's righteousness. Because we are coming out of a place of going, I am broken, I am bankrupt, and I'm at the bottom. That was, those were our three points two weeks ago. So he's saying it is God's righteousness that we hunger for. Look at, um, just turn the page, or I have to turn the page. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. We'll get there in a few weeks, Lord willing. But look at verse 1, chapter 6. This is Jesus saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. They're your own righteousness. Be careful that you're trying to like, put on a show. For then, the, for then you will have no reward from, uh, from your Father who is in heaven. Guys, this is the tax collector. Right, this idea of practicing your righteousness, it's, it's the tax collector I talk about here all the time. What we know is there are none righteous, no, not one. That's what Paul told us in Romans chapter 3. That's what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64. But that's the bad news. What's the good news? Well, here's the good news. How do we live righteously? Well, one, we, we see that, that, that God puts his righteousness on us. In Romans 10, it's not about our behavior, it's about our heart. So look at Ro in Romans 10, don't turn there, it'll come up on the screen. In Romans 10, Paul says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that would be specifically the unbelieving Jews, but it would be for all unbelievers. So my prayer for unbelievers is that they would be saved. For I bear them witness that I have a zeal for God, but not that they have, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now here's, here's the key. He says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God... And seeking to establish their own. So he's saying, being ignorant to what Jesus did for them, establishing their righteousness, they, they looked to seek their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. So how is that righteousness applied to us? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, are you hungering and thirsting for my righteousness applied to your life? Well, that's not even a New Testament promise. Isaiah 61 Jesus says, or, or God says through Isaiah, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with his robe of righteousness. It is, it is the righteousness of God that we should be hungering and thirsting for, not our own. So how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, we're going to be in several places in the Bible. So, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, and I would really encourage you to read along with me, raise your hand. Someone will put a Bible in it um, because we would love for you to do that. But turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. So Philippians is to the right of where we are in Matthew. Philippians chapter 3. 
It's one of your daily readings this week that you're going to read. But, but look at I'm in Philippians chapter 3, so you're going to go past all the big books. Acts, um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You're going to get to some smaller books. Galatians, um, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, this is Paul talking. So Paul writes Philippians when he's in how, under house arrest. This is towards the end of his, his, of his life. He's about two years away from being executed at this point. And it says, whatever gains, I'm in verse 7 of chapter 3, but whatever gain or, um, that, that I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, now, in case you don't know Paul's life, understand that Paul didn't just lose a little. Paul lost, from a worldly perspective, he lost everything. He was, at the pinnacle, he was at the pinnacle of popularity, of power, of like, like his, he was Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on his, he was on the fast track to being like the next high priest. And he says, all of that I count as loss, as garbage, as refuse for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as worthless because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. He's saying, I, everything I had, all, every earthly thing I had, and I had everything from an earthly perspective, I consider it garbage compared to having Christ's righteousness applied to my life. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and, the, and share in his suffering, becoming like him to the point of death, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Guys, this is a man who gave up everything because the beauty of Christ captured his heart. And the promise of heaven and the kingdom of God consumed him. What made Paul Paul was what consumed his heart. And what consumed his heart was Christ and Christ's kingdom. And he's saying, I don't care what I have to give away because Jesus is better. Man, I struggle with that. I struggle to let go of a lot of stuff in my life. Guys, so here's a question. So, so what, what do you consider gain? What, 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 how, if right now, if I were to just give you a second and say, so for me, what am I pursuing what has my attention? I'm not, don't ask it, don't answer out loud. What has my attention? How would I define the win in my life? Guys, when you get to the end of your days, not very far from now, it will not matter how much stuff you've accumulated. It will not matter how many titles you gathered. It won't matter how many letters you have after your name. All that will matter is what you have done with and for Jesus. That's it. All of it. All of it. All of it's going to burn. And we'll get there in a few minutes. So look at your second talking points question. Now I'll ask for input. What do you hunger and thirst for? How do you know? So rather than, rather than put it to a personal level, because it's a hard thing in an audience of you know, 100 people to answer out loud, I hunger and thirst for the new iPhone 15. I, yeah, that's probably not something somebody's going to say out loud at church. So, so what, what do we see the world, including the church, hungering and thirsting for? Power, happiness, attention, what? Acceptance, comfort. 
Ah, man, some of those are like some of those are really hard because you listen and you go like comfort. I kind of like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of 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 having a comfortable life, right? But I define that comfort by my circumstances, right? Things like acceptance, like like nobody wants to be rejected. You know, back to the first, the, like like how do we as 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 the culture seems to be getting, especially in America, seems to be getting more and more hostile towards Christianity. The, like we, it's, it's almost it's almost. Not impossible. It is, it is harder than ever to engage in a conversation about Jesus because you have so much to overcome just to get to the gospel. Because nowadays in our culture, and this is the part that we have to own as Christians, when, when I walk into my Starbucks and I'm talking to the barista and I'm engaging with him or her behind the counter and I'm, and I, and I'm sharing with her that I'm a Christian, in her mind, she's picturing Tucker Carlson. She's not picturing Jesus Christ. Now i got to overcome that mess, and I said it emphatically on purpose. I have to overcome that mess just to get to Jesus. That's what we've done to the gospel because we've married the church and our culture so much. And part of what this series is going to do with us, and and certainly these first three weeks, but for the rest, certainly the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and all through the Gospel of Matthew, is we have to rehearse and and help each other figure out. And I mean this. You need to help me too. We need to figure out how much of our Christianity is culturally driven and how, and I mean, and I don't mean just the world culture. I mean Christian culture. I mean, the churches we grew up in, or if you did, I didn't, but if you grew up in a church, and how much of it is biblically driven? That's the question. We've got, what Jesus is telling us here is we have got to get back to, to, so that we can say what Asaph did. Asaph was David's music leader. He wrote Psalm 73, and he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Guys, I, before the Lord, I cannot say that but I should. And so should you. That should be our heart posture all the time. There is nothing on earth I desire but you. You are my one affection. Yeah, but what about my wife and kids? Because my desire for them, my affection for them is an outflow of my affection for him. Right? That, if it's worth anything at all, if it's not, it's just going to burn too. Okay, so here we, so the question is, how do we live in this, in, as Christians in this ever more hostile world? Um, the first thing was, we have to reflect on what we're pursuing. What has captured our heart? What's consuming our minds? What are we pursuing? How do we know those things? Check your pocketbook. Check, like, check your checkbook, your bank account, because we don't really use checkbooks anymore. Check your bank account. Check your, t- your, your, your day planner. Check your friendships. Check your, your streaming habits. Check your internet browser history. These are the things that will tell you what you're consu- like, like what, what you're pursuing, right? Now, let's go back. So I, I left you in Philippians. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at our second point. We have to remember who they are persecuting. So how do we live in this hostile world? I'll let you, here's the short answer. Knowing that it isn't us they're persecuting when we're sharing Christ with them. It's him. He died. For what? For being a Christian. Right, he, so if he was crucified, all the disciples died poorly, and oh, by the way, it didn't get better throughout church history. In fact, the only times it ever got better is when people like Constantine embraced Christianity for a season, and guess what happened? Christianity went worldly. 
Every time throughout church history, every time Christianity has married itself to politics, the church has suffered in the long run. Every time. How can you say that? Look at what happened in our country. I am not saying that our country was not founded on on Christian principles. I'm not saying that God wasn't at work in our nation's past and and isn't still at work in the Christians in our nation, nation today. But where is the gospel flourishing? We saw it on video for the shoebox thing. The gospel is flourishing in the places where the government is most hostile. Do you know that there are more than 100 million Christians in China now? 100 million. That's a conservative estimate. Now, I get there's a lot of Chinese people. But guys, that number, it has exploded. I mean, there are more Christians on the planet now than there have ever... In fact, I heard this the other day. I didn't fact check it. I'm, I'm going to say it's true because it makes my point. But the, <laughs> this is what we do, right? There are more Christians on the planet today than if you added up all of the Christians throughout Christian history. The gospel is still going forward. The places it's suffering are the places where Christianity and the government f- infuse themselves. That's where it's gotten sideways, almost without exception. There are a couple of minor exceptions during part of the, after the Reformation, but for the most part, it was just a train wreck. So we need to remember that, when we are, that, we, that sharing Christ is going to be, with the exception of a short period of time in our little country over what in, in human history has been just a, a, a dot on the map, um, most of the time you are going to get persecuted for being a Christian. So look at what he says in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, you are persecuted when, when, when you are professing my righteousness. Because, because we know from verse 6 that it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. Now I want to point out one thing. I've, I've mentioned it before. You see how in verse 3, back in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 10, he says, Blessed are you when you're persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what's called an inclusio. It just means whenever you see something like two, like two similar terms on either end of a paragraph, the, it's, it's the author's way of saying the stuff in the middle is really important. There's an inclusio throughout the whole book of Matthew I'll get to next week, and there's, there, there are little ones throughout. So this is his way of saying, hey, this whole kingdom of heaven thing is the main point. Here's all the stuff in the middle that makes my point. So, that's, so he's repeating himself. He's bookending the blessednesses. The blessednesses. Now look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and, 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 and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now one, I want to stop right there and, just, and, and mention one thing real quick. Who, why, why are we being persecuted? Jesus. So we have to be sure it is Jesus they are persecuting. Like if, if my point is that we have to know that it's him they're persecuting and not us, we have to know that what they're persecuting us for is because we have told them about a God who's pursuing them with his grace and loves them unconditionally. And, and if they want to call us, but, but that the only way to that God is through Christ, and if they want to persecute us for being, um, for being um, exclusive, ex- all those things that you guys said earlier, that's okay. But if what they're persecuting you for is because you ripped somebody on Twitter about their political stance, or, be- or because you're posting something that is unkind towards somebody else, even if it's a gospel stance... Guys, well, even when we do good things, but not in a gospel way, it's not glorifying him. 
They're not persecuting us for him. They're persecuting us for our approach. And we have to own that. Now, we also have to recognize this is not all the church's fault. The enemy is real, and the enemy hates the church. Satan will turn your words into things that like, you might not mean them hostile, in, in hostile ways, and the enemy will turn it to hostility because that's what the enemy does, because he hates you as a Christian and he hates the church. But we, but we need to really, 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 especially in the next few months between now and the next election in 2024, guys, we have got to double down on leading with grace. We have, like, even, even as we're called to engage in the political process, which we are, we have to do it with love and grace. And, and our platform is not the Republican Party. Our platform is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that, guys. We cannot let the world suck us in to that argument. So that's the first thing. We have to be sure that it's him they're persecuting. But guys, here's the, uh, the, other, um, the other thing. is, is there, Verse 11 is just expanding on verse 10. Because look at how Jesus changes his, his, um, his grammar. So he's been talking in the third person. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. Bless. Now he gets to verse 11 and he turns to the second person. Blessed are you when others revile you. He's trying to press us into the personal. He's trying to show us this is what it looks like to be personally persecuted. So let me show you, and this is what I meant earlier about, so turn to 2 Timothy chapter, um, chapter 3. So when, when Adam started praying during our prayer time, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and then, and then Mo says, wow, that's where I was in my reading today, I almost started laughing out loud because neither of them had my notes. They don't know this is where I was going to have you turn. But I, we're going we're gonna to end in 2 Timothy 4, but I want to start in 2 Timothy 3 and, and look and see, this is what it looks like for someone to be personally persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So now at this point in Paul's life, he has been rearrested into real prison. He is now like in a prison dungeon chained to a floor. And he knows the only, because things have gotten worse for Christians. And the persecution is increasing. And he knows the only reason they'd bring him back to prison is to have him executed. So he doesn't know when, but he knows it's coming. Now look at verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in my life, my faith, my patience, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now look at verse, um, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is, the live, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he, this is like his way of going. With all the power I could force, all the muster I could, I could bring, which is Jesus, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and compl with complete patience and teaching. Guys, here's a man who is, he is being executed for one thing, for preaching the gospel. And what is his last thing to say to his disciple Timothy? Preach the gospel. 
Don't let what's happening to me scare you into not preaching it. Now jump down to verse 6. This is the part we all remember. Or this is my, one of my, some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For I have already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me in heaven the crown of righteousness, who when the, when the righteous one appears, he will reward to me, and not only to me, but to everyone who's been looking forward to his appearing. Guys, I, guys, that's, no matter what's going on in our world, that's our motivation. But here's a part we don't ever read in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to the Maltia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left at Carpus and Trous, also the books and, above, and all the above parchments. Now, now, so, so we have up there in verse 10. Demas left him. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay, all, will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now, guys, you, part of what you got to get here is remember this. Remember where Paul is, chained to a prison floor at the end of his life, and he is alone. And not only is he alone, but people like Demas and Alexander are people he speaks of highly in other letters. These were not enemies of his. These were friends of his who had turned on him because uh, he was preaching the gospel. Are you going to lose some friends for following Jesus? Yeah, are you even going to lose some Christians, some people that are professing faith in Christ because they feel like your stance on Christianity is just too hard? Yeah, but you're in good company. Guys, look at what he, he finishes up with this. At my defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I have rescued, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And now listen, here's that heavenly mindset, that kingdom mindset. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He isn't saying he's going to save him from execution. He's saying he's going to save him into his, he will be healed. Healing is promised, just not this side of eternity. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at, our last point. Before we get there, look at your uh, last talking points question. I'm not going to ask for input here. I just want you to think about it. How can remembering Christ is the one who was and is persecuted free you in sharing him with others? So guys, when you're, when you're having that, engaged, that, that interaction with the barista, with your classmate, with your coworker, with unsafe family members, and you are praying for them, and you're praying for your own heart to lead with love and be gracious, and, and they're still rejecting you. you. We have got to train ourselves to go, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. That's what we, we just got to keep rehearsing your, that, that, that over and over and over and over in our minds, that ultimately the rejection is of him, not of you. And and with that, that brings us to our last point. So, our, so, so we have to, so one, we have to figure out, like, like, what is it that is consuming us? 
If we're going to live in this world, we have got to look different. Je- Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter 5, here, here is what my born-again people look like. And they look distinctly different from the world. And they engage in it. And when they engage in the world, they're going to be persecuted. So what is our motivation for that plan? And the answer is that we have to recall what's in store. And so if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, and we look at our last verse today. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, one, I want to just stop right. So, so later on, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, says something to the effect of, he says, that, the, that, um, that blessed are your, speaking to us, blessed are your eyes because they see the truth. Blessed are your ears because they hear the truth. Because the prophets and the righteous people of old long to see what you see and hear what you hear. And they didn't get to. So he's saying, you're in good company. I, he's, I mean, he, at this point, he hasn't. He's going to die on a cross. Paul's going to get beheaded dying alone. He's, he is, Paul did more to spread the gospel at this point in human history at the early, than anybody in the world. And that man dies alone. Persecuted. Guys, I get that this sounds like, man, like who, I, I, I get why this doesn't sell. Because I see the looks on your faces. You're like, I came here to feel good. I came here to feel better. But, he, but, but there is hope. It's just, we got our eyes fixed in the wrong place. We got our eyes fixed on the wrong stuff. We're, we're, we're about collecting things and, and collecting relationships and having power and getting likes and all this other stuff. And it's all just going away. And what he's telling us is, not only are you in good company when they reject you, but oh, by the way, you are laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's the crazy part. There's this mystery, guys. I don't know how heaven can get better than heaven. I just know it does. There are degrees of reward in heaven. There just are. And I don't have time to go through it all. I've taught on this when we went through 1 Corinthians. But I, but turn, I, I just want to show you something real quick. Turn to, um, turn, turn to Matthew 25. Same book. Last place we're going to be in Scripture today. Turn to Matthew 25. It's a well-known story. or It's one of the parables. So Jesus teaches a great deal about reward, degrees of reward in heaven and degrees of punishment in hell. I don't know how either of those work. Because I don't know how you can get better than being in heaven. And I don't know how you can get worse than being in hell. I just know that Jesus taught those things. So when he's teaching on the parable of the minas, which is not the one we're going to look at right now, he does talk about like there's, there's a different degree of reward based on what they did with what they were given. Now here, the parable of the talents, the talents was just a wage. He shares, so there's a, he shares a parable. He says, there's a king who's going to go away for a while. So he says to three of his, uh, three of his followers, I'm going to give you some money to do stuff with while I'm away. He gives one five talents. Talent is not like tap dancing talent. Talent is money. So he gives one five talents. That's about 20 years worth of wages. He gives one two talents, and he gives one one talent. And then he comes back from his trip. And he says here in verse 20, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says in verse 20, And to the one who had received the five came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, so you gave me five. I have made you five more. I've doubled your money. His master said to him, and these are all the words, these are the words we want to hear, right? 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I still, I will set much over you, or I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now look at verse 23. Because the one with the two talents does the same thing. He doubles what was given to him. And he gets the same commendation. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a little. You will be set over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one that only got the one talent didn't do anything with it. He hid it. It's the, we'll see it next week. He hid his light under the bushel is what Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He's going to, he's, he hides his talent, his money, because he's scared. The king comes and says, you wicked slave, you wicked servant, why didn't you do something with what I gave you? And then he says, look at verses 29 and 30. For to everyone who has been given, to everyone who is, who, I'm sorry, to everyone who has will be given, more will be given to him, and he, who will ha- he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that one, is, um, even that will be taken away. And look at verse 30. This is Jesus speaking, guys. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, that ought to wake us up. The reason Jesus told the parable, this is on his way to the cross, is because he's trying to wake up his people. He's saying, I left you here. I've given you a gift. I've given you talents. What are you doing with it? Because if I come back and you've done nothing with it, it doesn't end well for you. Now, this is not works-based salvation. He's He's saying, if you're really his, you will do something for his kingdom. The the guy that received the one was never really a part of the king's kingdom. So he saw no reason to benefit the kingdom. But but Paul talks about it this way, and and don't put the verse up on the screen. It'll just confuse people. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is what I always picture. He talks about how that we're all, like at the end, he's talking about when the Lord, before the Lord comes back, he says that ultimately what's going to happen is everything that we do. So imagine I have a plate on my, I have a plate. And and, and I just get, everything we're doing throughout our lives gets piled on this plate. And then he says that plate is going to go into the fire. And at the end we're going to go, and whatever's left on the plate after it's been through the fire is the only thing that's going into eternity. So the question becomes, every time I read that, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, every time I read that, I think to myself, what's on my plate? What's on your plate? Because all, all of our plates are way too overloaded. All of them. But guys, at the end, when the fire comes, and, and the rest- restoration occurs, and Jesus goes, What's going to be left? Because the only things that matter here is the word of God and the souls of people. That's it, bringing those two things together. So we'll wrap it up with this, and I'll have the music team come up, um, or at least or actually Emma can just come up because we're going to do communion a little different today. So, um, so today's question is, how do we live in this hostile world? Right? Well, first of all, we have to know what we're pursuing. Second, we have to remember who they're actually persecuting. And the third thing is we have, to, we have to remind ourselves of where we're heading. Guys, it all comes down to the what and the who and the where. What are you living for? Who are you following? Who are you giving your life to? And where do you see your like, eternity really playing out? Like, like, what are you living for? When you get to the end of your days, not so very far from now, 
what will still be on your plate? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you that you do show us what it means to live for you. You modeled it. And, and, and then you, you tell us that we're to be. We're to be blessed in our brokenness, in our bankruptcy, in our bottom dwelling, in our meekness, in our humility, in our, in our, in our, even in our persecution. We are blessed. We are a blessed people. Not because of our circumstances or what you have given us, but because we're yours. That's the blessing. We sang it earlier, that you're just better. What a beautiful name. Are our lives being lived for that name? Are our lives bringing glory to that name? Are we willing to extend that kind of love and grace and humility and meekness and brokenness? Are we motivated by the things that really matter, the the souls of people and the word of God? The day is coming when you will come again. The great and awesome day of the Lord, often called the great and awful day of the Lord, is coming. It is the day that you will come and you will refine everything and restore it all back to the way it was before the rebellion. And when that day comes, it will be too late for those people who have not yet bowed their knee. And it will also be too late for those of us who are calling you Lord and Savior, but are doing little to nothing to live for you. Lord, don't let people walk out of here with feeling guilt. This is not about performance. Jesus is not about performance. This is about motivation. That if we really believe you are who you say you are, we really believe that you have done what you've said you've done, we really believe that you will do what you say you're going to do, our motivation should be to live for your kingdom, for your glory, for your eternity. That cannot happen from the outside in. It can only happen from the inside out. Let our doing flow from our being. And let our being and our doing look like Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.